Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. There are many differences between Major League Baseball and the National Hockey League. Yes. Like, for example, how the National Hockey League keeps changing its rules to make the league better, while Major League Baseball might make a universal designated hitter rule. But that's neither here nor there. So I found out today, uh, and this was something that was announced eons ago, so apologies for not knowing or caring because I'm a Mets fan, but the Yankees and Red Sox are going to be playing regular season games in jolly old London, England in June um, at London Stadium. And it made me think of how Major League Baseball is sending its greatest rivalry, maybe one of the great, maybe the greatest rivalry in sports, Yankees-Red Sox. And it's shipping this overseas so the people in Europe can see baseball at its most intense, at its most passionate, at its, at its, its grandest. And how when the NHL sends teams overseas, they do it based on, hey, is one guy on this roster maybe from here, maybe? And so you end up with like Oilers, Devils, you end up with like the Panthers and, and Jets. Which actually is okay, because like you get Lion A over there, and everyone went nuts for him and, and and Barkov. But like it just, you know, if you're trying to sell your product, and the NHL has often told us that the best way to sell your product is through rivalries, whether it's the the rivalry night they used to do on NBCSN, or it's because of changing the playoff format, and now you got rivalry teams playing in the first round all the time. Why wouldn't you send? You know, Flyers, Penguins overseas. Why wouldn't you send Calgary, Edmonton overseas? You know, why wouldn't you send Ducks, Kings overseas? Like, to me, this is the product that the NHL should be selling instead of, well, Switzerland likes Nico Heischer. He's Swiss. I mean, am I wrong on that? I I think I disagree with you here, Greg. I think, yes, the NHL has historically promoted rivalries, but as we've noted, there aren't many great ones in the NHL right now. Probably Washington versus Pittsburgh, and that's really the only one that has kind of transcendent power. So if you want to sell the game, you got to sell the stars. And we saw what a star Patrick Laine shined when he was in uh, Finland with Alexander mm-hmm. Barkov chomping oh, yeah. on wings. Like, mm-hmm. that's the type of stuff we need to see more of. Like, yeah, the Oilers versus Devils isn't a great sell, but Taylor Hall and it. Connor McDavid are. I just think that for a league that sells rivalries, to not bring rivalries overseas is very inconsiderate. That's all I'm saying. Coming up... Very Canadian of you. On ESPN on Ice. I'm nothing if not Canadian. Uh, that's a lie. Uh, we're going to talk about all the news of the week and all the stories that you want to hear, including a major coaching change in the Western Conference... Uh, that's all that and more coming up on this edition of ESPN on Ice. So let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Hey, everybody. It's ESPN on Ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter. And we are, of course, pouring one out, as they say, for Randy Carlisle, mm. former head coach of the Anaheim Ducks, the former Mighty Ducks of Anaheim, everybody's favorite underachievers. Last place in the Pacific Division. They've even been surpassed in some ways by the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, Carlisle turfed, finally, after a 21-26-9 start. Bob Murray, his friend and protector, and also Ducks general manager taking over behind the bench. 
Uh, first question here, I, I guess, would be, is it, is it too little too late? Can the Ducks be saved with Bob Murray behind the bench, or is this clearly just the boss trying to get a better view of things before recalibrating for next season? Yeah, every sense that you get with this team is that, and Bob Murray, by the way, I love the fact that he's taking it over. It feels like such an old school hockey move. Like, <laughs> how am I going to fix the team? I'll go put on my hockey boots and figure it out myself of what's there failing them. That's uh, but yeah, it feels like a lost season to me. And really the big question for me going forward is how do they reshape this roster? Because it's very difficult. Your three, your big three are all over the age of 33. They are all under contract until at least 2020 or 2021. Um, Ryan Kessler's contract goes in a year after that. And they've all had significant injuries and have no movement clauses. And when you listen to Ryan Getzloff, who is the captain, talk, he has no interest in playing anywhere else. He feels like this is his team. This is where he wants to be. But there's probably a moment where Bob Murray has to go to him and is like, look, thank you for your service, but we need to move on. Like, we got to move you. Yeah, and what Getzloff said is that he would consider that if, sure. if the team said that, like, he, you know, they need to move him for the betterment of the team. But, I mean, at the end of the day, that's 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 one thing to say that. It's another thing to say, hey, move your family from the beach <laughs> to somewhere else. Like, you know, that's a whole other story. That's why I got a no-move clause. Um, to me, this is too little too late. I, 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 we, we've talked about this on the podcast before. Like, the Ducks are terrible. Under, under Randy Carlisle. They're absolutely terrible. They're, they're below, they're atrocious offensively. League average goals for this season is 170. The Ducks are at 124, the worst offensive team in the league. And now, that, granted, you know, they've been through some injuries, uh, not only losing Corey Perry before the season or what's left of Corey Perry, but also Andre Kasha they lost for big chunks of the season, including right now. And that's Very a huge, underrated player. huge loss for them. And, and he and Henrique, um, I think could have been one of the best duos in the NHL this season if he were healthy. But that said, every single underlying number for the Anaheim Ducks under Randy Carlisle was trash. They were possession trash. They were offensive trash. Shooting possession trash. They were giving tra- up a horde of goals and shots. Shot suppression trash. It's embarrassing. Everybody knew this wasn't working except for Bob Murray, apparently. And Bob Murray, I'm going to guess, probably wanted to give Randy Carlisle the benefit of the doubt because of some of the injuries. Maybe he thought that the metrics would turn around and that Gibson would be the constant. Or maybe he was just kind of doing his friend a solid because he probably was going to fire him in the offseason and promote Dallas Eakins anyway. Whatever it was, like this is a lost season because they waited that long to get rid of a guy who clearly was not made for 2019 in the NHL. I'm glad you brought up Dallas Eakins because this is an interesting situation where, and this is why I do believe it is a lost season. He's clearly the coach of the future. He's doing a great job with the San Diego Gulls. And one of the reasons why he wasn't promoted as interim, which is usually the path that you take when you fire a coach midseason, is they didn't want to impede development there. Like, they're having a great year, and I know... The NHL club is much more important than the AHL club, but so is the development of these guys, especially when you've got these big three that's really cementing your roster and booing it down. So they've got some pieces going forward. Like Troy Terry is a guy that you should get very excited about. He's yeah. going to be very exciting. They've got other prospects there. Uh, but this really, it, it's, it's a big philosophical dilemma of where they do, uh, you know, this summer. And, you know, the one name we've heard is Jacob Silverberg. Like that's the one guy they're trying to work on an extension and feel like he could be a piece of the future. But, I'm curious if almost they'd be better off parting with him now and just starting collecting assets. I mean, really, who is untouchable on that team besides John Gibson? That's kind of what Bob Murray has said. You're right about Eakins. Like, that's, that's a smart move to leave him on the farm and not, like, bring him up and sacrifice him to the wolves. 
um, you know, allow him to play out this string and, and maybe win a, a Calder Cup, and that's great. It's a smart idea. Um, but like I said, too little, too late. You, you could have made this move eons ago and, and maybe salvage your season. But, uh, but you know, great goaltenders cover up a lot of problems, which brings us to the list that I put together <laughs> this week about the, the, there's been a dozen coach, this is incredible, a dozen coaching changes in the National Hockey League. Please consider there are 31 coaching jobs in the National Hockey League and a dozen of them have changed over since last April, uh, both in season and after last season. And I went back and looked at the jobs that some of these guys have done since taking over. I think we could all agree that if, if Ken Hitchcock isn't number 11, he's number 10. It's either him or Willie Desjardins on the bottom of that list. Mm-hmm. Uh, I put Ken, Ken Hitchcock last just because, I mean, like the impact that he's had is negligible. It's the first time I think I can remember Ken Hitchcock taking over a team and the goaltending's gotten worse. Which is, I mean, probably speaks more to the goaltenders on the Oilers <laughs> roster than anything else. But uh, for a guy, the reason I ranked him last is simple. If your only job is to save the guy's job who hired you, and then that guy gets fired, then it didn't work out. And that's the only reason Ken Hitchcock got hired, is to save Peter Chiarelli's job. And then Chiarelli gets fired anyway. And then Ken Hitchcock's probably going to be like, peace out this summer. So the whole thing was kind of a, 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 a whiff. Right. Top guy on my list, obviously, is someone we're going to talk to with uh, Jen Botterill uh, in a few moments. Barry Trotz, without question. I put Bill Peters second for obvious reasons. And then I put Craig Berube third. And I, I referenced back the goaltender thing from before. There's probably some people looking at the Blues and saying that Jordan Bennington has saved their season. And they would be kind of correct in some cases because confidence in goal leads to confidence around the ice. But I don't think that the Blues are necessarily in the same position as, say, like the Philadelphia Flyers, where a goaltender has literally saved their season. I think the Blues are playing better hockey all over the ice. I think one of the reasons Bennington has been able to thrive is the fact that they've had much better defensive responsibility. They've protected the puck more. They're forechecking better. I think the influence that Barubi's had on that team um, has gone beyond what I thought it could be. I really thought he was just a placeholder for whoever they hire next. But I think he's done a good enough job to not only where they're in a playoff position, but also where he might be making a strong case to be the next coach of the St. Louis Blues on a permanent basis. One of the guys that fell in the middle of your list that I found fascinating, and he was one above Todd Reardon, was David Quinn. And oh, yeah. I love the hot seat rating of zero because, as you said, it was always going to be a mulligan year for Rangers and Quinn. But one thing that he's doing, and, and you know, maybe too much of it has been made by the New York tabloids, maybe not enough of it, is sending guys messages with not, like, periodic regular healthy scratches to almost everyone on the roster. And maybe he does it too much with a guy like Pavel Bushnevich, who just kind of needs to find his way. But I really think that's strong coaching and bold coaching, and and I love it. Yeah, and like you said, I, I had him ranked above Reardon. Um, you know, Reardon's taken a lot of flack. I mean, obviously the bar is set impossibly high for the guy. One, because they won a championship last season, and two, because the guy he replaced is going to win the Jack Adams with the Islanders. Um and, and I know that there are some Capitals fans that look at the team's defense this year and say that's on Reardon. Um, others will say, well, that's kind of the sum total of some of the personnel changes they've had in, in recent years. Uh, it's probably a little bit of both. But to me, he, maybe out of every other coach on this list, is the guy trying to figure out how to make that transition from assistant to head coach. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's quite figured it out yet. You know, there, there have been some tough stretches for this Capitals team. Um, that have been a good education for him. 
And I think he's trying to figure out the right voice to go from being the player's guy to the guy behind the bench that needs to wield the hammer. It's it's a tough transition. And guys like Phil Housley and others in recent years have been trying to figure out how to make it. And I think Reardon is, is a good coach. Uh, I think he'll end up being a good head coach. I agree with Brian McClellan to that end. But he's clearly a guy that's trying to figure it out. And, and he hasn't quite yet. One guy I can't figure out, and you again have him a little bit lower on your list, is Jim Montgomery. And we don't talk about the stars enough. And you know what, Jim Lights, you're right. We don't talk about them enough. Um, <laughs> maybe they're not uh, covered enough. But they're having an interesting year. Um, you know, they are in playoff position right now. They're having a terrific year from Ben Bishop. He's He's been underrated spectacular. And perhaps that's covering up for the fact that they're kind of just okay. And they still feel streaky. And I'm mm-hmm. not quite sure what their identity is. Yeah, for sure. Bottom line, all these people are better than Randy Carlo. Um, and so uh, <laughs> I think you can agree on that. Boy, what a mess in Anaheim. Anyways, uh, not a mess on Long Island where the New York Islanders have been one of the stories of the season. Emily and I grew tired of being criticized by Islanders fans by not talking about their team ad nauseum. So we decided to invite Jennifer Botterill, Islanders broadcaster, on to shower this team with praise. All right, joining us now on the line is Jennifer Botterill, a three-time Olympic gold medalist and Islanders analyst, broadcaster type. Jen, first off, the Islanders are an absolute revelation this season. From your vantage point, what exactly has Barry Tratz brought, brought to this team that has made it so incredibly successful versus the expectations for what this season could have been? Yes, it's certainly been... A pleasure to, to cover the team. And if you look at the impact that Trotz has had on the team, it, it's certainly pretty outstanding. And, you know, there's been very, I would say, consistent messaging uh, from Trotz to the players. And the way that many of them, many of the players are describing it these days is just a collective buy-in. And, and for Trotz, certainly his approach and his philosophy of making sure that defense is a priority uh, in all aspects of the game. And he's really seen, and I think created, uh, an evolution in players in terms of the way and the style that they play, that they have a balanced roster, but people are, I guess, they're responsible and they're buying in and they have this um, sort of team belief uh, that they can accomplish great things and win games. But Certainly the, the defensive focus um, and shift in their game has been extremely noticeable. So, Jen, we're nearing the trade deadline, and this is a team that is in first place in their division. But, uh, you know, we're not, we didn't expect them to be here. I'm curious, what do you think this team should do at the trade deadline, and what do you think they will do? Oh, no, I know. That's always that's a tough question. But for them, they have <laughs> such a great dynamic right now in the locker room that I'm sure... Um, you know, Lou and the organization, they're probably a little hesitant to make too many changes because there has been such a, a positive culture in terms of playing for each other. And, you know, they all seem so supportive of each other and in terms of unselfish, in terms of playing time. And, and different people have stepped up at different points of the season. Uh, and if you look at their play right now and the results they've had and sort of the, their, their recent string of, of success, um, I'm sure, uh, you know, every organization is looking into how to make their team better, but I'm sure there also is a bit of, uh, you know, it's a, uh, they might be a little hesitant to make uh, too many changes because um, of that culture within that locker room and within the, the dressing room. 
Yeah, it seems like that the chem- the chemistry test has been passed, right? So you don't want to necessarily <laughs> yes. muck that up by bringing in the wrong guy. Um, that's a that's a good point. It, you know, the, the, this team does seem, you know, the, the, from the outsider's perspective, uh, you know, the the chip on the shoulder thing has been kind of the vibe that a lot of us have applied yeah. to this team. You know, like not only is Barry Trotz coming there after winning a cup, and then he doesn't get paid the money he thinks he deserves, and now he's gone. Uh, but then, of mm-hmm. course, the Tavares thing happens, and that's just like a neutron bomb dropped in the middle of that locker room. And it, it appears as though they've come mm-hmm. out of that thing, the Tavares ordeal, maybe even more cohesive. And, and, and is the chip on the shoulder thing, thing something that we're applying to this team from the outside incorrectly? Or do you think that's the vibe kind of uh, within the organization, too? Mm-hmm. No, it's a, it's a great question. And... You know, many of the players were asked that question again this morning at the pregame skate. But it's a very common uh, topic of conversation. And it was actually Leonard uh, who said, you know, yeah, I mean, from an outside perspective, perhaps there is this chip on the shoulder. But, you know, he said even from when he signed, you know, in the off season, he felt like there was a collective belief within that team. That confidence, he says, has grown. And, yes, of course, it's a change uh, to that locker room. But, you know, Trotz is the first one to say that, there are a lot of great leaders in that locker room. And for Anders Lee to come in and be the captain, uh, he's just been very solid. He's got a great approach in terms of his style of play, in terms of being vocal when he needs to be. And, yeah, certainly I'm sure there's an incentive and a motivation for all of the players. So, yeah, it's a huge change. But, you know what, hey, we believe in the talent that we still have. So, you know, whether that's – I don't think it's top of mind for them anymore, but like I said, it's a very common question they are asked, um, I think, almost on a daily basis. You know, and certainly it was a string when they played in Buffalo, they played in Toronto, um, you know, at the end of December. Um, you know, and there was a lot of lead-up, a lot of emotion. But I also feel like because of that, the culture and the team dynamic, they've just done a, a great job of staying pretty level-headed and focused. Mm-hmm. So, Jen, one of the unique things about this team, and I feel like it's kind of been underreported, is that they are splitting time between Brooklyn and Long Island. I'm not quite sure. I know you're only broadcasting, um, you know, a portion of the games, but how many you've done at each. But I'm curious from your perspective, uh, the differences between broadcasting games at those two places and also just what's the vibe of the fans? I mean, I personally kind of smile when you talk about the Coliseum, and I think many of the players <laughs> do as well. Um, you know, and I, I was there for some of the first few games that they played back at the Coliseum. And, um, yeah, for many of the players, hey, you know, it's like coming home is what they say. Um, you know, it's been different. It's For them playing in Brooklyn, it was just, a, you know, a different environment. Of course, you know, some different decisions are made on venues. But I think they certainly have embraced um, the return to the Coliseum. And, yes, it's a smaller venue, an older rink, so the energy – I mean, it is electric in terms of the chance the crowd has, uh, and it's a pretty special venue that it won't be forever, but I do think uh, that the players have, have enjoyed that environment. And then February 28th at the Coliseum and on ESPN Plus, by the way, the Toronto Maple Leafs make their return to the New York metropolitan area, and John Tavares faces the Islanders for the first time. There's been lots of speculation as to how this is going to play out amongst the Islanders fans, what do you ultimately think it's going to look like when Tavares comes home to play the Islanders on the 28th? No. <laughs> oh, some tough questions. I I hope it's positive. Um, yeah. You know, and I don't know exactly what that environment will be like, but 
I think Islanders fans are enjoying the success of the team this year, as they should. You know, it's, it's been exciting to follow. And I think with most hockey fans in general, I think they're pretty grateful for star players that have done a lot for the game. And that has certainly been the communication within the current New York Islander players is that they feel gratitude, you know, for the role that Tavares played, the impact that he had on the organization. You know, he'll go down as one of the best players to ever play for the Islanders. And Mm -hmm. I think they respect and appreciate that. And even talking to Tavares, I covered the game in December when they played in in Toronto. And, you know, his, his communication, too, was filled with gratitude and appreciation. So I think there certainly continues to be a, a mutual respect. Uh, and I would hope, I mean, I can't predict uh, exactly what it'll be like, but I guess I'm hopeful that it would be somewhat of a positive environment. Now, Jen, before you were a broadcaster, you were a very, very accomplished women's hockey player. And uh, we are recording this on Tuesday, and tonight begins the three-game rivalry series between USA versus Canada. And I'm just curious, first, your opinion on what this series kind of means for women's hockey. It feels like it's an important moment for me to build momentum in a non-Olympic year. But also just give me some of the storylines you're watching in these three games. Yes. I mean, I know the players um, are very much looking forward to it. I think it's very good timing with some of the exposure that was gained for women's hockey uh, with the the four players' involvement in the NHL All-Star game um, in terms of awareness. Uh, And for these the players, I mean, I know that when I was playing, you loved to play those games. When Canada played the U.S., you know, in any environment, whether it was Olympics or World Championships or rivalry series or exhibition games, you know, no matter the setting, it, it motivated you to bring your best game. And, and certainly the talent level in the game has continued to improve. Uh, and I think both rosters, you know, have a lot of skilled players, a lot of fast players. Um, and I'm sure it will be very competitive. I know the players are looking forward to it. And, you know, similar to your comment that I do think it's very important for just that continued awareness piece in those non-Olympic years. And they're playing in great venues. The first game tonight, um, the Tuesday night game, I know is sold out already in London. Uh, so I'm thrilled for them that they'll have a, a very special environment to play in for the start of the series. That's so awesome. And uh, you were, for those who don't know, you were in, you, you played everyone from Nag uh, in the Olympics, from Nagano through Vancouver, is that correct? That is correct, yes. That's a that's a lot of pain as an American Fair hockey one. fan. <laughs> <laughs> Nagano, Nagano worked you out all right for the U.S., but that's a lot of, a lot of pain I'm, otherwise for an American I'm, hockey fan. You guys got the U.S. got the first goal there in '98. That's true. That's true. <laughs> All right, Jen. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, continued success. And uh, we'll see you at the rink. I look forward to it. Thank you to both. Our thanks to Jen Botterell for coming on. As I wrote earlier in the year, the Islanders and MSG are just something very cool with their coverage. They've got her and AJ Malesko uh, splitting, and with Shannon, um, their host. That's three women on the broadcast, and I love discovering that. And I love discovering that <laughs> Discover is the official credit card of the NHL. And with Discover, you can show how much you love your team everywhere you shop with a personalized card featuring your favorite NHL team's logo and colors. But no matter what team you root for, Discover is committed to rewarding all of their new card members with cash back match. Only Discover offers a dollar for dollar match of all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year automatically. No caps, no signups. Redeem your rewards in any amount at any time and they never expire. With all of that extra cash, you can treat yourself to center ice seats at the game, your favorite player's jersey, 
Or maybe buy some new headphones to listen to your favorite podcast on. Mm-hmm. So try it and believe it at discover.com slash NHL. Only for new card members. Limitations apply. The limitations, say- Greg. Yes. I will say, do not apply to our imagination, especially when it comes to the trade deadline. Am I right? That, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. The trade deadline is forever approaching. And there are many names being bandied about. Some of them are good, like they could help your team. Some of them, in Jersey Shore parlance, Emily, are grenades. And you don't want to end up with a grenade or a landmine. So we Where's decided to take Shore a look. Reference? Yeah, of course. Oh. Um, by the way, for the record, <laughs> the people that were on Jersey Shore were very good representations of the people that you'd find at Jersey Shore. But please keep in mind that these people were imported from other parts of the East to live at the Jersey Shore and become Jersey stereotypes. Like, I think of the Jersey Shore cast that I'm pretty sure like three quarters of them weren't actually from Jersey. That's a fact. And this has been your regular PSA about Jersey Shore. <laughs> I'm just, I'm it's just saying us. proper representation of the good people of New Jersey, you know, hire New Jerseyans where there's plenty of people that could have been snooky. To be on Jersey Shore. You didn't have to import people. That's all I'm saying. Um, the trade deadline, we decided to take a look at some of these names being bandied about and rank them um, categorically. One guy you break the bank for, one guy you think is going to be a huge bargain for your team, and one guy that is the aforementioned grenade you want to stay away from because you could... <laughs> Who is the person you would break, break, the, bleh, break the bank for at the trade deadline, Emily? Well, I think he is going to cost the bank, and that's Matt Duchesne. And the reason he's going to be so expensive, and you know, we're hearing that the Ottawa Senators might be asking for as many as three or four assets for him or Mark Stone, uh, it's because he was very expensive to obtain. And look, this is a botched situation for the Senators. I just want to put it out there. Both players have said they want to resign. Ownership has given them the okay to resign. And we've got nothing. And, you know, I was talking to an agent the other day and he said, what player would want to stay there? And I said, "Okay, if you've got a family situation and you're comfortable, he goes, but who would sign on to be a part of that mess? (laughs) So all of that is to say, uh, Matt Duchesne, I want to get him the heck out of Dodge. And um, I I would give up a ton for him. He's having a career best right now, averaging 1.15 points per game. He's great on faceoffs. He's a good defensive responsibility type guy. And you're also bringing in a guy that, look. Um, you know, not that he's a bit of a homebody, but I think he's loyal and I, I think he wants to find a forever home. I really do. He's kind of that sad, good looking puppy that you're just like, come on, you're athletic. We can go find you the perfect dog park in our neighborhood. And if you bring him in at the trade deadline, I, I think if you have the right room and situation, you have a chance of resigning him next year. So that's the guy I'm breaking the bank for. Okay. I am breaking the bank for Artemi Panarin, uh, if he's available. I, I think there are few, Wingers, maybe he's the only winger, to be honest with you. Uh, Stones may be in the conversation too, that you could add to a line and then that line is exponentially better because of that winger. Centers, you can do this with all over the place, but wingers, it's tougher. And the team, I will, I will hop on the matchmaker bandwagon for Panarin with the Nashville Predators. I watched the Predators against the Blues. Um, this weekend, uh, following down the bile as I listened to Pierre Maguire. And I watched a team that remains, in my estimation, a team with one incredible best in the NHL line with, with Forsberg and, and Arvidsson and Johansson. 
and then has a couple of other lines that, if they're clicking, can be pretty good, but by no means has a second offensive option that puts the fear of God in you that mm-hmm. other teams like Winnipeg, for example, like San Jose, for example, uh, like the Flames, for example, have. And so if you bring in Panarin and stick him on a line with Taurus or whoever, I think that that line's viable. And I think that line becomes really dangerous. And it makes you have to worry about them a little bit along with the top line. And if you remember the playoffs last year, as much as we remember Pekka Rene, you know, falling apart on the road, it was also a situation where they just didn't get any secondary scoring beyond the top line. So bring in Panarin, solve your problems. He's the guy that I would break the bank for. He's a special player. All right, our next category is guys that we think are going to be a good value. And um, maybe I just have a huge hockey crush on the way this guy plays and what he can bring <laughs> to a team. Uh, and it's Valentine's Day, so we're all in a mushy mood. But <laughs> Wayne Simmons, I don't know what he's going to cost. Um, you know, it's a bit unclear. But I think no matter what it is, he's going to be a value because he's a motivated player. He brings all those intangibles that all of you hockey nerds hate me talking about, but leadership <laughs> and grid. And, you know, you heard Chuck Fletcher talking about it the other day. Like, he's the first one off the bench rushing to Carter Hart or whoever's playing goalie, giving him a hug. Like, that kind of leadership guy. And he's a big body to throw in front of the net, let alone the fact that he can score some goals. So I'm very curious to see what happens with him. I think it's an interesting situation because he's made it clear that he wants to stay. There were some negotiations and talks under the last regime. It didn't go anywhere. Here comes Chuck Fletcher. Now that the team is doing well, maybe they keep him on as their own rental and hope that they can resign him to a reasonable contract next year. You know, it almost feels like Chuck Fletcher has kind of fallen in love with him the way that you would if you watch Wayne Simmons play. But any team that gets him, especially in the Western Conference, where I think he would really thrive if he goes back there, um, is going to get someone who's going to be an immediate impact. And the two teams that I'd like to see him on, one, I think Nashville, he could be a huge asset there. They don't get Panarin. And two is Boston. I think he's a he's a tailor-made Boston Bruin. I also like the fact that, you know, you reference Valentine's Day, and I just think of you sending the I choo choo choose you Valentine to Wayne Simmons. Uh, my pick for the guy that I think would be a huge bargain, and it depends on what the asking price is, obviously, from the New York Rangers, but I think you might be able to get Matt Zuccarello for a reasonable price in like comparison to some... a fourth-round pick. I think it'd be more than that, but, but I don't think it'd be a first. Um... Who knows though? Like, trade market's crazy, but I think you can get him for a reasonable price. And if you do, he's heating up at the right time. He's an instant offense guy. Uh, he is a tenacious worker. And I just feel like on a team with designs of winning a cup, uh, or, or challenging in the playoffs, you put Zuccarello on, on your third line, let's say, whew, let's go. I I love, I love the way he plays. I love the tenacity with which he plays. Has playoff experience, obviously, with the Rangers. To me, just a smart veteran addition and a guy, obviously, with an expiring contract. I'm a, I'm a huge Matt Zuccarello fan, uh, going back to the days when we used to call him the Norwegian Hobbit Wizard because he looks exactly like Elijah Wood. Uh, and but I also love- showed rare personality by tweeting out, remember after his contract holdout? He's like, the Hobbit is back. And I'm like, one question. Is, is that a pop culture reference from you? <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, and so I, I, I like Zuccarello a lot and I think that he'd be an asset on, on any team. Um, you, you think about a situation like the Calgary Flames, for example. I was going to say, that's where I want yeah, to see him. Yeah. He, you know, they might be in the market for Stone or somebody like that, but you throw him in that mix in Calgary and, and they're just so go, go, go offensively. I think he'd be a really, really good fit there. Uh, so uh, Zuccarello is my bargain guy. I'd, I'd, I'd trade for him in a second. 
Do you know who I'm sticking away from, Greg? Who's that? Andre Burakovsky. And nope. there's one reason why. Look, he's heating up. He's playing better lately. He's got four points in his last three as we're recording this. Uh, but it feels like the Capitals have given him every opportunity to succeed. And I know he came in as a 19-year-old and, you know, maybe you watched those first couple years where it's like, okay, he's finding his feet. But at best, he's been like a half a point per game player. And the reason I'm specifically uh, sticking uh sticking away from him is that he's a restricted free agent with arbitration rights this summer and mm-hmm. when you get him you, you see this as a player that okay maybe we'll resign but it would cost more than three million dollars to simply qualify his rights and that seems like a lot for a guy that hasn't proven something plus brian mcclellan the gm of the capitals wants to get something in return uh, so maybe you give them a rental back but it, it just doesn't make fiscal res- sense for me and, and i i think washington might have to end up keeping him now, the guy that I was going to say was actually going to be Matthew Shane. Yeah. <laughs> he's scared. He's no, cuz he's scared so bad. He he scares he scares me a little bit. Like I I I often, you know, think back to uh, his struggles in Colorado. I I don't I'm not a huge fan of this guy's mental fortitude. And again, I'm not trying to play Fraser Crane here. I'm not a pop psychologist. I just know from you know, watching him through the years when adversity has hit or when stressful situations have hit uh, he's not performed his best when he's been uh, fancy free in Ottawa, uh, where there are no ex- expectations. But Greg, um, haven't you really, seen really all well. of the NHL produce videos of him in a dark setting playing the guitar like I, a country music singer? I, Don't I you know. see that he has an I, oasis away from the rink? He sure. I, I, but, but the reason I'm not picking him, though, is because I forgot it is a contract year. Yeah, he's motivated. Yes, he's, he's totally motivated. Like, there's something to play for. He's completely going to play extraordinarily well for whoever gets him because he's playing for his next contract. So I'm not picking Duchesne. I am picking Sergei Bobrovsky. Mm. I, if you are trading for Sergei Bobrovsky, you are doing so because you are a playoff team that is unsure about your goaltending situation. And you're going to overpay for a guy whose most famous accomplishment, other than winning, winning Vezina trophies, is playing poorly in the postseason. So I, someone's going to probably try to overcompensate to get him. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I, that no-move clause is kind of a an issue for me. Uh, I know he's, he's reportedly said that he'd waive it, but I wonder if he'd waive it for everywhere. Um, but I, I just I just can't trust someone who, with that much of a work history in the playoffs, hasn't performed yet. I can't trust the amount of treasure that you got to give up to get him and then worry about whether or not he's going to just be a disaster for you when it matters most. I can't do it. Can I tell you something that I learned the other day? What's that? People are trying to make Panofsky a thing. <laughs> As a couple? I guess we yeah. didn't talk about that. Like Panarin firing his agent um, for the third time in like 18 months. And now he and Bobrovsky are a package deal. Correct me if I'm, I'm wrong here. And correct me if I'm crazy here. But like... Wouldn't it benefit Panarin to not have his salary tied to that of Bobrovsky? Like, wouldn't there be more yeah. opportunity to break the bank without having to go to a team and being like, yeah, you know, I want this amount, and I know you got to pay this guy this amount, so let's look at your cap. Like, outside of Florida, there aren't going to be a lot of teams that are going to be able to handle that package deal. Look, I don't think the package deal works anywhere besides college basketball recruiting, where right. it's like, come hire my dad uh, right. as some <laughs> nefarious role. Um <laughs> I have a lot of questions about it too. I, I personally don't really buy it. I, I think there's something else there. Um, mm-hmm. 
where there's a reason why he parted with Dan Melstein because the sole reason I say that is Panarin, the one thing he's preached so many times is I want to be a free agent. I want to exercise my right to choose. And, you know, when you tie yourself, like you said, you boo yourself to someone else. Like, yeah. that does limit your options. So it, there's something that just doesn't smell right to me. And also, look, I, I think probably something has to do with the fact that Milstein said he wouldn't negotiate during the season. Maybe something's there. I'm not sure, but something's fishy in the water. And then also, like, famous package deals. Let's see. Solani and Korea, disaster in Colorado. Uh, Gomez and Drury All-time in New York. in the NHL, though. Number oh, one. Oh, absolutely. Gomez and Drury in New York didn't work, for, on Gomez's part at least. Um, well, it kind of worked for a little bit, but it didn't result in any championships. And then uh, Suter and Parise, probably one of the more famous ones recently. Uh, I know a lot of people kind of look at that and the, and the Wilds lack of a championship and say maybe it didn't work. I kind of feel like it did. Uh, as, as far as giving them a foundation, I don't think any of the ensuing uh, disappointments were necessarily on the backs of Suter and Parise. Um, but yeah, like package deals, not exactly something that works uh, all the time in the NHL. All right, here's uh, a deal that does work every week, and that is our reoccurring feature in which uh, Sash and Shandon gives us a bit of hockey trivia. We have to guess what the hell it is. It's Sash got your number. This team has committed 221 penalties third most in the league. However, it doesn't seem to matter as they have the second best penalty kill at 85%. Who are they? Devs. Okay, so they've committed a lot of penalties, but have the second best penalty kill. I'm going to say it's the Islanders. The Tampa Bay Lightning Ah! seem to be adept at killing off all the penalties they're committing, a big part of their league-leading record. Thanks, guys. Thank you. we didn't get your number this time. I thought it was. I, I was thinking penalty minutes and then good, def- good defensive team with strong goaltending, mm. and that's what led me to the Islanders. That's a great reasoning. I just know the Devils have a good penalty kill and nothing else. So. <laughs> yeah, that's because Gang got much else this season. Exactly. <laughs> Joining us now on the line, one of our good friends, best dressed man on television, two decades running. <laughs> I'm going for three. <laughs> Barry Melrose, the man himself, joins us on ESPN and Ice. Uh, you know, let's get 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 right to it. We spent some time uh, earlier uh, talking about the trade deadline, talking about players that if you were a GM, you'd want on your team uh, that might be available at this deadline. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it straight to you because these were our top choices. You got a choice of Matthew Shane or Artemi Panarin for a few months. Who are you taking? Uh, can I throw another guy in there? Yeah. Oh, oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, if, if I'm a coach and I got, and I got a good team. And if you look at, uh, a guy that's, you know, obviously you've said the big names, uh, but there's going to be a heck of a price for those big names. Uh, Simmons is the guy I want. There you uh, go. He is just, he is just built for playoffs. If you look at last year with Washington, who was, who was one of the stars? Smith Kelly was one of the stars. Mm-hmm. He got more goals in the playoffs than he got in the regular season. And and Simmons is that type of player. Simmons is that the guy that'll score that night that there's no room. The guy that'll go to the front of the net and, and fight off two defensemen and the puck will win off his foot. Uh, you know, he doesn't take bad penalties yet. He's a physical monster. Uh, you know, so I've I've been looking at all the lists and, and Panarin's we'd all love to have Panarin, but there's you know, how many teams are gonna be after Panarin? And you mentioned Duchesne, the exact same thing. But both those guys are small. And if you look at the Washington Capitals last year, and you hear Mike Babcock mention this all the time, the Washington Capitals were the oldest team in the playoffs, and they were the biggest team in the playoffs. And you can't win 
in a seven-game series against really good competition, against very good teams, and 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 not be big and strong, and not be not be you know a, a monster physically. And Washington learned that. It took them a long time, many years, to learn that. But they they took away some of their skill and they replaced it with grit, size, and character. So that's why Simmons, I think, whoever ends up with him, might steal the whole show. That's the guy that might have ten goals at the end of the playoff, two of them winners, maybe an overtime winner. Uh, but a guy that's tough to play against, a guy that's physical, a guy that defensemen don't like to play against. Uh, so that that would be my pick. And it might be you know you might be a little cheaper than Panarin or Duchesne too, but uh, this guy I think whoever gets him in the playoffs, or if Philly decides to keep him, uh, that's not <laughs> out of the realm of possibility yeah. also. But uh, I think Simmons is the diamond in the rough out there that I would like if I was coaching a team that I thought could go a long way in the playoffs. All right, Barry, I'm going to give the reverse question. And, you know, it seems like a strange year, especially in the West, which is so congested. So there's so many teams out there in the rumor mill. What's one team that you feel like needs to make a move, and, and who would you get for them? Nashville's already made their moves. It, it, it hasn't worked yet, but it, it, you can see uh, that those two physical guys are sort of the direct direction I was telling you about right there uh, to make them a different team, a much bigger and much more physical team. I, I think Winnipeg. Uh, and I'll say Winnipeg for the reason, just to get guys fired up. It's a, it's a long season. There'll be lots of games left at the deadline. I'd like to see them make a deal quick. They went through a little bit of a, a, a downswing lately. I know they've won their last couple games, but they'd also lost four in a row, I believe, for the first time this season. And I thought I saw a couple of blemishes on their team. I, I thought I saw some areas that they need to, to work on. So uh, they they need that, that big, gritty body. And, again, we don't know who's going to be available yet because – you know what are what are the Ducks going to do? Uh, you know what you know. There's some teams out there we're not sure what's going to happen yet. What's you know what what are those? You know St. Louis going to do? They're in the playoffs now, so I got to think they're a buyer now, not a seller. So that that changes the realm of things too. But I, I you know Nashville's made their changes. Uh, you know that Central Division. Uh, I think Minnesota is going to do something, whether move players or get guys back. I think they have to do that too. You don't think Panera would fit in good with Winnipeg? And Winnipeg's to the point Ooh. now where they gotta they got to send a message to their fans. Just you know, saying we got a great you know uh, minor league system and we got a, a great team and and we're one of the best teams in the NHL. That's all and great, but uh, you got to try and win. You got to send a message that you're doing you know above and beyond everything in order to win. And that's why I'd like to see them be aggressive at the deadline and make a deal. Yeah. Last one for me, Barry. Uh, the Penguins are a confounding team for me this year. Uh, I think Sid's been awesome. Uh, they've had moments. Uh, their goaltending has been an issue, but you know Matt Murray, I think, is starting to put it together. His, his uh, performance this week was incredible. Uh, you, you, you think they're, they could win a cup with this current configuration, or are they a team that really needs to still make some dramatic moves to, at the deadline to really kind of actualize as a cup contender? Well, Jimmy's been uh, making lots of moves. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, uh, the players that went out and got yeah. have changed the team the way it's made. Uh, I'll tell you one thing. If I finish first, I'm not that happy about playing the Winnipeg or the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins in the first round. Uh, you know, <laughs> right. if, if they finish eighth, that's quite a reward for finishing first, isn't it? Play yeah. the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. I, 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 I'm like you. I, I, I just can't see them beating Tampa. I just, I just can't see it. Uh, but, you know, all of a sudden Sydney gets fired up. Malkin, who's had a, a so-so year, gets fired up. Uh, you've still got uh, Kessel. You've got Nordquist. You've got, you know, you get uh, you get Smith, uh, Schmidt, uh, Smith back in the lineup, the defenseman. 
uh, you know, they, they, Latang is playing well. Dumoulin's having an unbelievable year. Uh, so they still got they still got players there. Uh, you know, uh, Gensel is going to score, you know, 25 goals again, 30 goals. Uh, so they've got the guys that, that can get the job done. It's just, are, are they good enough with the changes they've made now? Uh, is, what else can they do? Uh, they're not, you know, they're not going to move any of their stars. Uh, so, you know, what else can they do to bring in an impact player? But as I said, I, I'm never going to doubt the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins with that lineup and with Sidney Crosby on it and with a guy like Malkin who's proven when playoff time comes, he can elevate his game quite a bit. Yeah. All right, Barry, we appreciate you. Everyone always asks you for your Stanley Cup picks, but before we go, I'm just going to ask you, just name me, what two teams are making the wild card from the West? <laughs> oh, good question. Good question, the wild card. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go with St. Louis Blues. Love it. I, there you go. I think they get in. I, I think they're our hottest team in the West right now. They got goaltending. I love the way they're playing. Why? Uh, who do you like in the other one? Because right, because da- let's assume Dallas finishes third. You like you like Minnesota. You like Vancouver. You like Edmonton. You like uh, uh, the, the Blackhawks sneaking in there somehow. The Coyotes. Who's the other one? Blues and who? I. Geez, that's a good question. I might say Minnesota. Yeah, I, that's how, that's kind of where I am too. Like like the Blues to me have sort of righted the ship and. I just can't bring myself to betting against the Bruce Boudreau. Like, all Bruce Boudreau does is make the playoffs. They don't do anything when they get there. But all he does is make the playoffs. So I can't wager against the guy who knows how to get his team into the playoffs every year. And and I think they're going to be very aggressive for the same reason we've been talking about. They have to send a message to their players and their fans that they're trying to win. And, yeah. and you know, I, I think that, you know, the injury to Corey Blue is certainly a big one. Oh, yeah. uh, but I, I I just can't believe that they're going to be a seller. They got to be one or the other, right? They got to they got to sell or they got to buy. They're in that right. in that position where just standing pat sends a terrible message. And you got a new GM. Uh, you got a guy that wants to put his stamp on the team. Uh, you know, in Fenton. So I, I gotta I gotta think that that they're going to be aggressive. I, I'll be very surprised if Minnesota doesn't pull off a deal uh, as soon as possible because they need points now. But just the oh, fact yeah. that we're talking about all these teams in the West is crazy because. Nobody's out of it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the Ducks have been so bad, and and they're, theoretically, you know, if they get hot like uh, uh, St. Louis, they could climb right in there again. It's just crazy that that every team in the West is basically involved in in the playoff hunt. It's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. Uh, and, and good news for uh, you know the Ottawa Senators uh, and, and the Devils, the only two teams that are like out of it right now. <laughs> so yeah, you know, the only well, sellers in the league do. right now. There's only, yeah. there's only a couple teams that really know what to do right now, and that's those two teams are exactly yeah, right. right. Exactly. All right, Barry, thank you so much for your time, man. We'll talk to you again as we get closer to the playoffs. Anytime, guys. Take care. Good job. All right. Now it's time for our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. Kind of a bittersweet uh, Phil Kessel's hot dogs with a Randy Carlisle reference in the sounder that we do each week. Mm. I know. Well, it's our weekly look at the foibles and hyperbole and straight up mistakes in the hockey media. And this week we go to an old standby, Damian Cox, (laughs) Canadian journalist supreme, uh, former uh, Sportsnet commentator. Um, Damian Cox got into it with two former NHL players uh, this week, uh, talking about the Evgeny Malkin, Michael Raffle situation. Uh, Cox tweeted, give Malkin five and Raffle two, but Sheriff George Paros would never want to make punches punishable. 
Otherwise, it would undermine how he made his living, which wasn't about being a skilled hockey player. Cam Jansen, former Devils and Blues goon, tweeted, And what kind of player were you? And uh, then, of course, uh, you know, Cox continued on. This led Daniel Carcillo to chime in with, Do your job. Report on the deadline for the NHL concussion lawsuit. Hint, hint, it's today. To which Damian Cox... Uh, then uh, replied something pithy about, uh, I thought we had no business covering such issues or having an opinion because we didn't play the game. You can't have it both ways. To which Daniel Carcillo then landed a body blow by saying, buddy, <laughs> you're the worst. Remember, I still have your text messages of you being nice to get a story out of me. I'm glad I took the advice of former players who know you and who advised me otherwise. Now you want to, quote, retweet with comment about everything I say. You are cruising for a block. Daniel Carcillo, Twitter enforcer versus Damian Cox. Damian Cox double teamed by two former NHL goons. It was something to behold. All right. Now it's time for Puck Headlines. Dateline. Pittsburgh. Evgeny Malkin gets a hearing for swinging his stick at the Flyers' Michael Raffle. Uh, it was a pretty ugly scene. Uh, Malkin got a phone hearing for that on, uh, on, uh, on Tuesday. What was your thoughts on this uh, heinous, reckless stick swing? As we do the podcast, there's not been any discipline handed down. What do you think about this? Yeah, I was watching it live, and, um, you know, my first instinct was, look, he was clearly, you know, being grabbed, he got punched, but teams know that Malkin is a guy, Gino is a guy that uh, you can rile up, and yeah. he's got a little bit of a, a quick temper, so, look, not kudos to the Flyers, but, like, they knew how to get under his skin. <laughs> Go ahead. Like, kudos to the Flyers. Come on. It is. It, give, give him props for agitation. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I think that the penalty will certainly be lessened because they will take that into account. Um, it's mm-hmm. certainly deserving, I believe, at least of a one or two game suspension. You just can't be whipping your stick around like that. That That's dangerous. I have a sense that the NHL could go $10,000 fine or suspension for Malkin. I personally, I think it's deserving of the game. The Department of Player Safety functions to try to correct behavior and I'm angry, so I'm going to swing my stick at someone else's head, to me, probably falls under the umbrella of correctable behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a $10,000 fine for a guy who has millions of dollars in the bank uh, never really sends the message in the same way that a suspension does, uh, taking him off the ice for a game for his team in a playoff race. Uh, to me, that's the way that I, I hope they go, and I'm sure that we'll have found out by the time you hear this podcast how they went. Um, but uh, if he had connected with that stick, one billion percent, it's an in-person hearing and a suspension above uh, five games, without question. Nice without by Ravel. question. Without question. Um, so yeah, there's that. Uh, Dateline, Boston. David Pasternak had thumb surgery, and will miss at least two weeks. He'll be re- reevaluated then. But the best part of this story, Emily, is the Boston Bruins tweeting. Pasternak and several of his teammates attended a sponsorship dinner on Sunday night at about 11.30 while walking to his transportation. Pasternak fell and injured his left thumb. And I want to thank the Bruins for forever giving me this phrase to use when I stagger home drunk. What are you talking about? It was a sponsorship dinner. I love that. It's one of those like very 
specific details. So you'll always remember the story. But he was doing <laughs> yeah. the right thing. Right. He's at the sponsorship dinner. Right, He's exactly. a good community guy. Yeah. He wasn't carousing around with his friends on a Sunday night at a bar. He was attending a sponsorship dinner. I wonder if sponsorship dinner was trending in Boston. <laughs> uh, Dateline Ottawa. Uh, shout out. Uh, to Matt Borvieski for announcing that he and his wife are taking part in the Pride March in Ottawa. But more to the point, shout out to Matt for calling out his own team for not having done enough previously uh, for for the movement, which I thought was a really different kind of thing that you don't normally see in these declarations of a marching in Pride. It's kind of like a Kendall Coyne being like, a, I'm absolving Pierre McGuire, but I understand why you thought it was wrong because it was messed up. Yeah. So, I mean, kudos to him, man. I mean, like, you know, I think there's still a ways to go for him to not be seen as a Senator Schill after appearing in those videos with Eugene Melnick. But um, at the same time, you know, I think it's a statement that you don't often hear from NHL players. So kudos to him. Uh, Dateline Nashville. It was NWHL All-Star Weekend in Nashville, and Emily was there. I wasn't part of all the festivities. You know, I saw all the um, love online about how what the attendance was like. I was a little disappointed, to be honest and frank. Uh, I wish more people from the Predators and Blues games stayed. It felt like almost a mass exodus that you usually see after for, a game. And For those who weren't there, what, I mean, like, percentage of the crowd that remained, what do you think? Ten less. I'm really yeah. bad with numbers, but... You know, but a, a significant amount of people did not stick around because the All Star Game was after the Blues Predators game, which was an, which was an afternoon, afternoon game. game. Yeah, yeah, right. Time. Okay. Vladdy Tarasenko with a nasty hat trick, but um, yeah, you know, it's one step forward. You know, we've seen in the past that there's been very low attendance for these games. Like I said, it's almost like the USA Rival game. It's all about slowly building up momentum. There you and go. I heard great uh, things about the skills competition the night before, by the way, which was at the Predators practice facility. Kendall Coyne broke her own mark, I believe, in Fastest Skater that night, she which is did. super exciting. And kudos to NBC. You know, I give NBC a lot of grief a lot of times. You do. Uh, it's true. Uh, but uh, they showed highlights from that skills competition during the Blues Predators national broadcast and talked about the NWHL All-Star game being later that day. So that's that's some really good promotion uh, for the league to that end. Dateline Dangerous Woman, Ariana Grande. Rode the Zamboni and was hit by a puck twice in 1998 while attending Florida Panthers games as a season ticket holder with her family. Uh, Mike Comito, a hockey historian, tweeted out a photo of young five-year-old Ariana Grande on a Zamboni uh, with, with a, pred- a Panthers jersey on and curly hair. It went super viral. Ariana then commented three separate times on the photo in the story. So when do we expect Ariana Grande, Emily, to play the Winter Classic? <laughs> She'll be in Dallas. We'll see her there. Oh, please. She will be 55 years old before she plays the Winter Classic. That's the no, way these things they're, work. They're trending in the right direction with booking acts. I don't know, man. I think I, I do not expect Ariana Grande at the NHL Awards, nor at the Winter Classic. I feel like her career is on the upswing. And typically the people that attend these things are not necessarily like if it's somebody who could conceivably play halftime at the Super Bowl, they're probably not showing up to give out the Vezina is the way it usually works. Mm, yeah. I did a story on Ariana Grande and the Zamboni and her being a kid and being a Panthers fan and all this other stuff. And I slipped in uh, a number of um, references to Ariana Grande songs in the story. 
And so I want to give a shout out to Andrew Rocco, a Rangers fan and a Giants fan, uh, who follows me on Twitter for discovering that it was eight, eight references to Ariana Grande songs tucked into the story. The story is, is on my Twitter feed if you want to uh, challenge. Take the Ariana Grande Greg Wyshynski Zamboni challenge and find all eight references to Ariana Grande songs. The next the viral trend hitting your Instagram. Finally, the Grammys. I watched them. I loved them. I thought that Alicia Keys was one of the best hosts of an award show I've ever seen. Like, kept it wow. feeling like a celebration of music the entire night and just the vibe was right and it was like an eight-hour show but it felt like maybe four. But you didn't watch the Grammys. I'm off award shows, man. I was in Nashville, actually, the night of the Grammys, and it felt like the city was probably all inside, and it was kind of crappy weather, oh, but I had a nice dinner right. with my cousin instead. So you did not uh, go to any of the Casey Musgrave uh, uh, or Dolly Parton viewing parties in Nashville to see these country icons strut their stuff at the Grammys? You know, I chose not to. And Good point. I chose just to look at, you know, the That's cuts. Right. uh Mm-hmm. Coverage right. the next day about who wore it best. And you're, 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 like the, did. you're like the Artemi Panarin of free agency of watching the Grammys. You've decided to make your choice. You just want to get to the deadline and make your choice. That's yeah. all you want to do. Um, all right, now it's time for uh, the rant line. Hey, Greg and Emily, second time caller, long time listener. I was on the show back in December telling everyone why they shouldn't panic about the Vegas Golden Knights. But as you might remember from that phone call, I'm an Anaheim Ducks fan. And I can't figure out how to not panic about the Anaheim Ducks. Not just for this year, but for next year, and the next five years, and seemingly the rest of my life. And I don't know if you can answer this question, because clearly Bob Murray doesn't know the answer. He's putting himself behind the bench to try to solve the Ducks' problems. But I'm wondering, Greg and Emily, if there is anything that an Anaheim Ducks fan can hold on to and believe in for the next five years of this team. Because right now, I'm just sitting here staring at Ryan Kessler's no move clause and six plus million dollar cap hit and slowly crying to myself into a bowl of chili I just made. Thank you. Please help. Bye. Well, we have one thing to go for. You clearly can cook. Yeah, exactly. Congrats on the like, cooking. I don't know. I mean, honestly, like we just to show how much we hold our listeners in high esteem, we both assume that he like cooked the chili. It might just be Hormel. Like we don't know. He didn't say. But no, to, I mean, to go back to what we said before, like the, the, there, there are a few reasons to hold on to hope and they are named Cam Fowler, Hampus Lindholm, Josh Manson and, and, and Brandon Montour. Like and John Gibson. Yeah. And John Gibson, like the, the back end is pretty solid. And in the case of the four defensemen, like if, if push comes to shove and, and, and they need to, you know, revamp the team or add a bunch of pieces, like you could trade Cam Fowler and, and probably get that. He's got a no trade, but he signed through like the middle of next decade i mean and what team doesn't want him or Lindholm? what and what team wouldn't want to take him or Lindholm? oh god get a great package back sure yeah so the the hope is either a you have the foundation to build something upon or b you can you know trade off a piece or two of that foundation to revamp the team as you see fit if you're you're tied to those veteran contracts so yeah exactly all right our thanks to our guests our thanks to you Pushing up against the clock. Love you all. Talk to you next week. Bye. 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 This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.